This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode of the show. We're thrilled to have you along with us. I am joined, as always, by the man himself, Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you doing today, man? Good morning, Tyler. Coming off of uh, Father's Day weekend, had a good weekend. I hope you did out in Texas. Uh, we had a we have my wife's parents down. Um, there, it's it's interesting when you get around eighty mid eighty year old people mm-hmm. and how you take on a different perspective. So I had a lot of different perspectives this weekend around aging, and uh, I'll share those with you when I see you in October. But uh, <laughs> Our goal today is to not age, but to get a little bit wiser. And the lady that we have with us today is going to get us a little bit wiser. I just feel it in my soul. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You just have that feeling, you know? Yeah, so, you know, some days you do. Let's, let's welcome her on the show now. We are welcoming Nicole LeClaire on the program. She's a welding professor at Mohawk College and yet another Canadian joining us here for the program. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm talking to you today from Burlington, Ontario, Canada. I love well, it. Tyler, I think that we're going to have to get a maple leaf as the official, uh, you know, our, our logo for the for the podcast. Because Nicole, I really think you're like uh, I don't know our twelfth Canadian. So we're proud to proud to represent. So thank you, thank you for taking time with us uh, today. You and I connected over LinkedIn through our mutual colleague, uh, Jamie McMillan, who has been so instrumental in connecting uh, the trades in Canada and and in particular, the Toronto area, it seems to be. So um, you are a welding instructor. And I'm fascinated by that because I had a welding instructor many, many moons ago who I absolutely adored. Um, he was a guy from Des Moines, Iowa. He was an iron worker and he taught me how to, uh, weld gas acetylene weld using a coat hanger as a filler rod. So, um, I know the world has come a long way in educational settings since then, but I think we were out of, out of rod at that school and, uh, we use coat hangers. So. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, just I was just gonna say, yeah, when you're in a jam, right? You use uh, <laughs> what's what that hand? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I am a welding professor at Mohawk College, um, but I've only been doing that for about the past uh, six years or so. I've been in the industry. Um, well, I started my education in welding in 1998. So you know, it's been well over 20 years since I've been in the industry and loving it. Um, I originally started. Uh, with a a welder fitter diploma at Cambrian College in Sudbury. And um, due to just loving it, graduating at the top of my class, uh, an instructor, speaking of, you know, mentors and people meaning something to us, as we were chatting about earlier, um, he had come to me and said, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever thought about welding engineering technology? So then I did a welding engineering technology program, and that was a three-year program. And uh, then I worked in the industry for a long time. But what I realized over time at, at these, you know, 
working about 14 and a half years at a welding distributor, I realized that what I liked the most about the job was educating my customers and, you know, keeping them up to date on what was new in technology and what the new, newest and greatest gases to use or um, throughput. Um, we would uh, convert um, manual processes to um, automated processes by use of, uh, you know, robotic arms and different things. So I just um, really, really, really enjoyed the educational aspect of it. And I thought, wait a second, why don't I just, you know, refocus my whole career to that and uh, wound up applying to the college and never looked back ever since. I love it. That is, that is awesome. Um, so what, what did you do? Um, like what you said, you educated your customers. So who were your customers and how did you go about that? Like, what were you doing to educate? You were selling welding equipment or, or what, what does that look like? What did that yeah, look like? For sure. Sorry, I should have clarified. So um, working for this distributor, we were assigned uh, territories and I had many territories over the, over the province of Ontario um, over my years of working there. And yeah, basically any customer who would use welding gases or equipment. And that could, that was a very, very wide range of companies. You know, of course, a lot of it was metal, um, you know, welding and um, metal manufacturing of some sort. But, um, you know, I got, I felt like I was on episodes of how it's made because I got oh, to see cool. on the inside of so many different companies right down to, I remember being in a, a mattress factory once because they had a, a maintenance. Every company has a maintenance department, right? Where there's probably a welder. And uh, so, yeah, I got to see on the inside of many, many, many companies. And so that's, yeah, to clarify, I was basically just um, bringing um, the knowledge um, that, you know, I had garnered through my education as well as, um, you know, everything that our company sold um, to their attention. So, yeah, it was a sales role um, and uh, got to sell them lots of uh, accessories, gases, machines, you name it. Now, see, I'm, I'm in awe at this moment because I never would have like tied together the fact that a salesperson or a sales role or a support role at a welding supply company, so to speak, would have a certified welder like out in the field. I don't know that that's such a a cool concept that you were out there doing that. But I, it's one I never would have thought that they would have invested in someone that understood metallurgy out there on the front line with the customer. So I. Congratulations to them. I think that's a great, great thing. And that may be common, but I just didn't know about it. I don't know. Well, they, they actually were taking, uh, doing interviews um, before we had even graduated. So this was a three-year welding engineering technology program. So um, we were going for interviews around, say, February, and we were graduating in April. And I actually had the job. Um, before I graduated, of course, it was contingent on the fact that I would graduate, which I did. And um, yeah, I thought it would be a great um, kind of first job um, out in the industry just because I'd get to know instead of a lot, you know, get to know a lot about one thing. Like if I work for a manufacturer, for example, you know, I'd be limiting myself on the the product range. Right. And then I thought working for a distributor, I'd get to know a lot about a lot of different products. And so I went that route. Um, at the time, though, uh, just to be clear, I did just have my uh, welder fitter and welding engineering uh, te technologist diploma. I didn't get my red seal until after I left that job when I wanted to focus on my education. I also got my level one visual welding inspectors ticket as well. And um, um, 
my international welding technologist diploma. So, um, yeah, it's been a journey. It's been a journey over these past 20 some years. No doubt. So for us uh, illiterates, what is a red seal? Okay, so yeah, you know what? I keep forgetting that I'm, I'm talking to, to you guys in the States. So it's basically um, an interprovincial ticket. So the red seal um, is, is it's also largely referred to as, as your interprovincial ticket, and it'll be recognized across all the provinces in Canada and you can get work, um, you know, across the country. Saying so, that you know what you're doing in welding. Essentially, yes. Yeah. So there's two ways um, that you can go about getting your red seal. Um, there is the formal apprenticeship route where you actually, um, you know, get your employer to sign off on 6,000 hours, um, making sure that you've achieved certain, um, you know, criteria with different welding processes. Or you can um, get your, your red seal ticket by means of the TEA process, which stands for Trade Equivalency Assessment whereby maybe you have a lot of experience in the trades and, you know, you never did a formal apprenticeship, but you can still get your employer to sign a letter. Um, you have to do some practical tests to make sure that you can actually weld. And then you go and do um, a test that consists of 150 multiple choice questions. You need, um, I believe, 70% uh, to pass. And as long as um, that's met, then they issue you your, your red seal. Very cool. Well, I know that, uh, you know, inner inner trades um what's the right word reciprocation is important so having that i guess is a standard across canada you know it, it's kind of like it, you don't have to re-interview somebody every time if they've got their red seal then you know what you're getting in, in a welder so it makes total sense so yeah i i find that really cool um i'm still stuck on how many places you got to go because i love how it's made that's one of my favorite shows by the way my wife looks at me sometimes i'm watching how to like how they make a spring and she's like that that's what you're interested in today and i'm like yeah i think that's really cool so um, yeah me too so we we've got a little bit of background now of how how you you know kind of got educated and how you got to your spot and and how you're uh, as an instructor or a professor, I'm not sure what you go by at Mohawk, but tell us about that process. Uh, you 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 get uh, pupils in that are green, or is there a multi-step uh, program in the welding trades? How how does that work at the college, and how do you start your interaction with the with the folks that are attending school? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm happy to explain that. To you. So at the college, um, we do have, um, there's lots of different types of welding programs, um, depending on what you're looking to get out of it. So just like I had mentioned, I went to a three-year program. So essentially in, in Ontario anyways, um, you can enroll um, at the college level in a one, two, or three-year program. Um, at Mohawk College, we offer um, a one-year program whereby they get to cover multiple uh, welding processes and you don't need any experience at all so you can um, register we have um, you know different times throughout the year where you can start uh, fresh at the beginning of, uh, of your term in both September and January and um, absolutely no no prerequisites are required um, and uh, no experience necessary uh, the other types of welding um, programs that I teach at Mohawk involve um, apprentices so when you think about welding, you might just, you know, 
not necessarily always associated to the fact that welding is such a um, such a, a skill that so many other trades need to know about. So, for example, um, you know, steam fitters and plumbers and even carpenters have a uh, welding component to their apprenticeship. So oftentimes I'm also teaching um, a group of plumbing apprentices and I'm teaching them their welding component of their apprenticeship. Gotcha. So m many, many, many other trades need to know about, about welding. So it's such a, um, you know, such a skill that so many other uh, trades uh, need to know about as well. You know, welding uh, to me is an art, you know, proper welding is an art. And I love to watch these, these shows on Discovery. Uh, like there's one called Texas Metal where they do all these crazy car uh, restorations or, or car, like they take a car and they make the whole thing, re remake it, you know, frame all the drive assembly. And to look at the welding that these guys are able to produce on that show. Now, whether it's really them doing it or whether there's four people behind the scenes in a fab shop doing it, I don't know that. but the end product is really spectacular. It's like, you know, I always refer to like you're stacking up nickels is how beautiful these welds look. Um, I just thought I should throw that in there because yeah. I, think, I think welding is really cool. But um, my, yeah, that term, my, go sorry. ahead. I was just going to say that uh, that term stack of dimes is typically used uh, in the gas tungsten arc welding uh, process with TIG welding. It does look very, very nice, very, you know, aesthetically pleasing. And uh, yeah, hats off to those people in those types of shop environments who have to weld on different material. Sometimes you don't know uh, exactly what the parent material is that you're welding on, right? So you have to uh, just use your skills and other little tricks that, that'll help tell you like the carbon content and other things and the parent material to know how to weld it and what filler metal to use. So yeah, those are, those are certainly highly skilled people doing those jobs. Now, see, Tyler, you know we have an educated lady on because she used the term parent metal, where we wouldn't know that. No. That's, but that's, that's, that's why we have educated people on, to no educate doubt. us, because no there's doubt. a lot we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. <laughs> so, Nicole, you know, on the show, we, we like to delve into the human side of our businesses and, and our relationships and I'm always fascinated. You know, I mentioned my, my welding instructor, uh, Ed, funny, funny guy, but a really solid guy. Um, just, so I, I could go on for hours about that guy, but, uh, my dad was also a good instructor. He was our union apprenticeship, one of the union apprenticeship instructors, but we, we build relationships along the way. You know, I was a weld, I was not a welding instructor. I was a refrigeration instructor. And the, the people that we all come into contact with and build re rapport with while you're leading a class of, of mainly young people, some older people, um, you, you tend to build, build bonds that, that last a while and, and you get the, watch these people go through their apprenticeship. Uh, maybe you get to watch them buy their first house. I mean, it's just really cool to see the different phases of life occur. So have, have you been fortunate enough to, to get to enjoy that, the fruit of that, that, that side of the fruit of the labor of watching the people develop? And is that something that you kind of keep tabs on your, your former students or how does that work for you? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I've only been doing it for six years now, but I have had, you know, lots of opportunity to even years later, you know, get, um, have someone reach out to me to be a reference for them. I've had, you know, people reach out on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, meet for coffee after, um, you know, even a, a year after they've graduated to sit down and chat, you know, these types of things. I, I always make myself uh, available to them and let them know that just because the course ends does not mean that, you know, um, our our connection has to end and I'm always willing to help them and to help them succeed in uh, in their future endeavors. So I look forward to more years of that happening as well. And I feel like the longer I do this, the almost the better or stronger um, my relationships are becoming with my students uh, as well. Maybe Maybe in the first few years, I was maybe too professional and, you know, drew a line in the sand kind of thing. But now I'm like, we're all just people, you know, I, I, I'm happy to, uh, you know, to, to be, you know, friendly with them and to, you know, pursue these, uh, these friendships beyond graduation. Well, I, I think anybody that's instructing or teaching or professing has to figure out that balance, you know, what works for you. Uh, you know, you have to have some sort of, of, I won't say control because you're teaching mostly adults, but you have to keep, you know, some order to what you're trying to deliver to the class. But yet, you know, you can you can learn to be a human. And I remember back when I was an instructor, I, did, I sucked at it, you know, because I, I knew the material well. Uh, but I was so young and immature as a person, I didn't know how how to blend that very well. So. Uh, I would think that, and and having watched people that do it well, they figure out their footing. You know, they they become uh, very comfortable in, in what's teacher mode and what what's friend mode, and and where that line is. And that line shifts, you know, with every person too, depending on the recipient that you're trying to help. But you know, j just this morning, an hour before this uh, recording, I got a call from from a guy uh, who who I work with for uh, forever uh needing a reference you know for a job that he's going on and just having those old relationships and uh kind of tells you at least you you think you did the right thing as you were going along and tried to help people so uh that to me is super important and and i think our true merit as as um instructors or 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 um is that what you are? Are you an instructor at the college? Is that what y'all are called? I want, a professor. I want... It's a welding professor. Yeah, okay. yeah. As a professor, you know, it's, it's always important to figure out what the role is and, and what does that individual need? Are they, do they just need to learn how to fuse two pieces of metal together? Or, you know, are they struggling somewhere else that you make and help or at least point them in the right direction? So I think having that that omni view of what of, of what and who you're trying to help is important. So, yeah, um, for sure. And everybody learns differently. You got to kind of get on everybody's wavelength. So, and I mean, when I think about my own welding professor, you know, back in 1998, Armand Darber, hats off to Armand. Uh, you know, he left quite an impression on me. And uh, for many, many, many years after that, I would mail him a Christmas card and, you know, stay in touch with him. And um, yeah, he, um, yeah. He was kind of my mentor when I was starting out, and I never forgot that. And so I've always thought to myself, if I can be even half of that, my students, then I'll be successful. So 
So having good role a, models helps. <laughs> it, it's essential. It really is. I mean, even if it's a poor role model, you know what not to do. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot to be. I, th- I think about it a lot. When Before I started my business, I used to carry this stupid little black notebook around and I would write down things not to do. Like, I mean, really, I know it sounds wacky, but when I worked, I worked for a great company, uh, but there were things that we did that made no sense to me. And I made note of those, like, why are we doing this? So when, when I started the business, um, I would think, okay, this is something that drove me nuts as a technician. So how can we not do that now as a company uh, and maybe save someone else a headache? But, um, so I got to ask, what is your favorite kind of welding to do? Like, are you, what is your specialty? Like in your off time and you drift out to the garage, what are, what are we liable to find you doing? Well, nowadays I just mostly do repairs on things, but um, um, for in terms of processes, I, you know, I've been asked that a lot and uh, hard to pick a favorite, but I feel as though when people get asked this question, a lot of times their favorite is the first process that they learn. And, mm. and I feel like that's true for me. The first process I learned was stick welding like many. And to this day, I love stick welding. In fact, I'm, go- I'm going next month to renew my, my stick ticket. Um, I guess um, I'm not sure how it works in the States, but uh, the Canadian Welding Bureau here um, will issue a welding ticket um, for an all position ticket. And then they're good for two years and you have to go and renew it. So I'll be doing that next month. But um, I also really like tick welding because as you mentioned before, right, it's, um, it's very, you know, kind of slow and controlled, very artistic. And, um, you know, if I often compare when I'm talking to my students, um, MIG welding, for example, if it in terms of painting would be like a big roller brush on the side of a barn door. Whereas TIG welding is more like an artist and their palette. And it's, um, you know, very exact and precise. I say you have to be very zen. You have to be very cool, calm and collected when you go into do TIG welding. And I love it. I love, um, so I guess to answer your question, I'd say stick welding and then TIG welding. But I love so many of the processes because I find it kind of meditative when you put your helmet down and it's just you and the arc. And it's just you focus on just that. And kind of there's no room in your head for other thoughts to come in and you just focus on what you're doing. I used to feel that way when I was a kid playing the piano. I was so focused on playing the notes. Um, You know, it was very relaxing because I couldn't think about anything else. That's how I feel about welding now. Nice. Is, is Is there an art to welding that maybe people who don't know a lot about welding might not be aware of? Is is there more of an artistic element than than someone might suppose? Well, there are certainly metal artists, and I'll give a shout out to uh, Mr. Rich Baker in Ontario. He is an amazing metal artist, and um, so like, like literally turning metal into art, not necessarily you know in the terms of the welding art, but I feel there is an art to that. But no, he can take a sheet of metal and some aviation mm-hmm. snips and a few little um, spot welds here and there and create these amazing fish and owls and lion lion's heads. And I'm, I'm not inclined that way. I'm more of the industrial uh, side, but so, so many amazing metal artists out there. Well, I, I'll give a shout out to one of my favorites is uh, Barbie, the welder out of upstate New York. Uh, that lady does some really impressive, impressive work as well. Barbie, the welder. Um, so we, all right. I, I got to finish my favorites question. So if you're stick welding, what's your favorite rod? Well, I guess I'd have to say the standard old 
187018 just because it's so common and I've used it so much. Um, yep. All right, I'm a 6010 guy. So For the open root, you love the open yeah. root. <laughs> My welds were were very categorized as as gorilla welds, big, strong, and ugly. So uh, <laughs> I was a, a welder out of necessity, not out of uh, need be. But all right, enough about uh, enough about your favorite welding rod, because a lot of people are wondering what a sixty ten or seventy eighteen rod even are. But uh, people. I love the fact that you were able to so quickly pull out, I think a gentleman's name was Rich, out of your head. Because people, you know, we we stick with people. And if they're in your, in your genre, you know, you tend to gravitate towards those. And, and you mentioned that gentleman, Rich, and I mentioned Barbie because they do really cool stuff. Um, what What do you want? You're, and I know you're six years into it, but as you progress through your tenure as a uh, professor, what do you want people to know you for? What, what, when they graduate and they look back in 10 years, what should have Nicole embedded in them that when they pull that hood down or they're watching the machine run, what is it that should stick out for them? When they look back on on me as a person, I'd really like them to to think that I had integrity and that um, and that I I taught honestly um, from the heart and I'd never make stuff up. I would never lie to them. If I didn't know the answer, I would get back to them, you know, and uh, just a level of professionalism, my integrity and um, yeah, just knowing that uh, that I was, yeah, just genuine to them. I've had uh, various, you know, in instructors. In, in my life, and certainly the ones that stood out to me were the ones who were relatable and just honest, helpful. I'd so like when a group qualities. when when a group comes in, and I'm assuming you start in the classroom because you have mm -hmm. to cover theory and what have you. How do you how do you start that? What what does that first day look like? I'm curious of how that would be for a, a yeah. group of greenhorns coming in. What do they What do they need to know? How do you get them going? Yeah, well, depending on the program and the processes that they'll be learning, um, yeah, we dive into the theory aspect of um, of all the processes as well as safety in the shop and all that, so that we're not throwing them into the weld shop uh, with with uh, with no safety background or anything like that. And we want them to know the theory of everything before they strike an arc as well, from polarity to you know the theory of what's happening in the arc and uh, the shielding gas, et cetera, et cetera. So. I love it because there's just so much to talk about. Like we're literally starting, you know, from, from nothing. So I get pretty excited when I get to share <laughs> my love of the trade with everyone. Um, you know, for the past couple of years due to COVID, we've had a lot of uh, online theory classes, but I'm so happy to be back in the shop because I need my whiteboard behind me and to, you know, jot things <laughs> down. And, you know, I'm, I'm never sit down. Like I'm always standing and walking around and drawing on the whiteboard and uh, bringing in samples. And, you know, I'm so happy to be back into um into the classroom so yeah basically um they have sometimes you know three or four classes of theory first and then uh, and then we lead them into the weld shop but really the theory never stops because what even when you're in the weld shop you know there's always going to be questions of well what happens to the arc length when i turn up the voltage or whatever so i mean we always have to be you know the theory never truly stops but 
do you do anything? And this, this kind of just popped in my head because of, of a, a class that I attended, not a welding class, but a class in general. Do you do anything to get the group uh, to kind of con- congeal or, or to kind of start to build rapport with each other? How do you, how do you start your, your human side of your class off? Do you do any like round table or? Yeah, we have um, a lot of, yeah at the beginning of class, just kind of group discussions, even if it's, you know, what'd you do on the weekend? That gets a conversation going and then somebody else has, finds some commonality in that and gets talking. Um, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, setting up the welding machine and posing questions and, uh, or making little, um, you know, uh, lighthearted competitions out of things and, or sometimes they'll have prizes. <laughs> and and then there's that, you know, fun competitive side and it just kind of gets people going and um, yeah. Stuff like that, I guess. And what what is the a good class size for you? Just like total head count. How many do you like to have, and what do you feel is the optimum number? Uh, well, um, at another college I worked at, the maximum size per class was twenty four. But at Mohawk, it's twenty, and that's simply because each weld shop we have three weld shops, but the maximum number of booths is twenty. So that's our gotcha. maximum. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, the, in, the instructor and the 20 students, if we have a full class. So needless to say, um, you know, when it's one of the first few days in the weld shop and no one knows what polarity goes where and getting <laughs> set up, I'm just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to get everybody set up <laughs> and going. And that's but, a lot uh, of people. 20, 20 for one is a lot, you know, like I think a you know, a good number is a dozen. I like to have a dozen people per whatever it be, team leader or, or instructor or professor. I think that's a good number, but that's just my opinion. I, I don't know if that's no. scientific or not. I, I agree. My I was going to say when you asked for a good number, my number was going to be 14. So yeah. very, very close. Yep. Sometimes, you know, it just gives you a little bit more time to spend in, in the booth because sometimes I'm in a booth helping somebody and then I feel like, oh, how many people are waiting for me outside this booth right now? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah I, there's a never dull moment. So it makes the time go by really fast and you're just always running around helping people. we got scheduled breaks and, uh, you know, unfortunately it gets a little, it's, you know, we're in summertime here. Um, um, I'm teaching this term till um, the end of August. It gets pretty hot in there. Obviously, the school is air conditioned, but not in the weld shop. So talking to them about how to manage uh, working in the heat as well. <laughs> That's super important because, you know, a lot of welding gets done on job sites and outdoors and that hydration is uh, super important for sure. Are are you a, a nighttime school or daytime or both? How, how does the class Just break out? Daytime. Okay. Yeah, they they do offer some evening classes, but that's called our continuing education courses, and uh, there are other instructors for that. But I'm a daytime professor there at the college. At the college. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, Nicole, we we talk often on this show about the skills gap and the fact that there aren't as many welders or brazers or you know any kind of skilled workers that we need. Uh, in the industries, plural. How do you see enrollment at Mohawk? How do and and at the other college where you work? How um, how do you see enrollment? Are, are you are you guys seeing a pickup in the number, or what are you seeing up there? Yeah, it is definitely consistent, consistently high. Um, there is absolutely a great need. Um, 
for, uh, you know, for just tradespeople in general, but also welders, of course, um, in the industry. The last number I heard it was somewhere in the neighborhood of for every 10 welders that retire, there's one person coming in to replace them. And, um, you know, the government of Canada is, is luckily also very aware of this need as well. And they've um, invested $1.28 billion uh, into apprenticeship and, um, and, you know, recruitment in terms of apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship courses that are government funded um, as well. So they are trying to encourage more people to get into the trades that way as well. And uh, I don't, I guess I haven't uh, brought this up yet, but something I'm doing in my, on my own is uh, I, about four years ago, I founded the Nicole LeClaire Welding Bursary Award. And every year I issue uh, money to students who want to pursue welding at the post-secondary level in Ontario. So for the past uh, couple of years, I've been able to give out uh, four bursaries of $2,000 each. And that's my little way of trying to help close the gap as well because I feel like if you know welding is what you want to do um, and you know it's funding that's standing in your way I don't want that to be what's standing in your way so I feel like that can offset the tuition and um, yeah and I always tell them my, my winners I always tell them it's I'm not just giving you money and saying here you go good luck I same thing with my students I'm like reach out to me keep in touch with me let me know how things are going so that's something I'm very proud of and um, my little way of helping to close the gap. Well, as well. That, that is freaking phenomenal. Congratulations uh, for doing that. Tell, tell us how, how are those selected? How do you how do you come up with your winner, so to speak? Well, I needed um, a platform in, in terms of uh, how people were going to apply short of getting my own website. So I reached out to um, the Canadian Welding Bureau in Milton, Ontario. And uh, they agreed to host the landing page for my application process. So um, although the funds are, are all of uh, my own and, uh, you know, people who donate, I also have a sponsorship, which I can tell you about that later, too. Um, anyway, they are you do get a tax receipt if you donate. And um, yeah, they host the landing page. And um, basically, it's open from... March to the end of June for applicants. And then I deliberate over the summer, just me as an individual. Um, I do reach out to the CWB to ensure that our um, applicants match because when they apply, I get an email as well. And then we just check that our numbers are the same. And then I literally just pour over them all, read them all. And then I select the top 10. I take, I do video interviews with them. And then I just decide uh, who meets my criteria. So the motto, of my bursary is strive, persist, be in it with all your heart. So I'm looking for candidates who I feel like they will stay in the industry after they graduate and who really have a true passion for welding. Well, that is phenomenal. I'm, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people, uh, w the world hears a lot of people talk about a lot of different topics, but is there, there's also a lot of talk, but folks like you that are putting your own money to work uh, and really backing what you believe in is, is uh, that's an awesome thing. So I, I totally, uh, I just love that. I mean, I don't know, Tyler, what that, is that not cool? I mean. That's, in, that's incredible. That's like the, um, the putting into practice of, of what we talk about all the time. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you love to see that. And it's a, I think a phenomenal example for, 
so many of the the you know people that we talk to and the, the industries that we talk about on a regular basis. Walk in the talk, baby. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I love, love that. Well, it. congratulations for doing that, Nicole. Um, well, thank you. I wanted to leave behind some sort of uh, legacy. Um, it, it is going to go on in perpetuity. So um, the CWB has agreed, you know, in many, many years from now, <laughs> when I can't do it myself, uh, they have agreed to take over the role of um, selecting the winners. And uh, yeah, it'll just go on until they run out of money. <laughs> well, yeah. You just kind of sparked an idea for me, so thank you. That that was a nice little nugget. Um, you want to give us a website where people can go and look at it? Um, sure. Do you want me to type it in the chat box, or yeah, um, do that, and we'll make sure it winds up here somehow. Because um, you know, I think the more people, it's just awareness. The more people who know about good are able to do more good. Is kind mm -hmm. of how I look at it whether they're going to be a welder or just like me, it sparked an idea of something that I've been kind of like kicking around in my head, but never really figured out, you know, what I wanted to do with that idea. Maybe that's, that's a catalyst for, for others. So very, yeah. very cool. That's been my passion project. So it's been just great watching it unfold over these past few years. And um, you know, two years ago, I had a couple of winners who attended a college that I went to, you know, so it just, everything's coming full circle. And now they just finished graduating and they send me their graduation pictures. And yeah, it just makes me feel like, you know, just awesome that I had some little part of helping make that happen. And these two winners, um, they were two, they happened to be two females that were attending the same college and they, they just so happened. It was a weird coincidence. So I introduced them before school and I sent them an email saying, Hey, and so they, I also wound up connecting some friends. So it was uh, pretty cool how it all worked out. Do you, I've got to imagine it's hard, you know, because if you're picking the top 10, you know, to interview and then they're already, you know, the upper crust or, or you wouldn't even, or, or they wouldn't even be applying, I suspect, but ha isn't it hard to have to really narrow that down? Is that, is that let, me, let me tell you every year when I've been doing this, I'm like, I want everybody, I want everybody to get it. Right. It is so hard. It is so hard. Absolutely. Um, yep. I don't even sometimes like, gosh, it's, it is just so hard. There's just something about some of the, um, some of the winners that just have that little something extra that shine through, I guess that helps me um, choose, but it is very, very difficult because um, every year I always have way more than four that I, that I could donate to. Yeah. So, and, and sometimes if they're, if I know they're applying to um, a program that's longer than one year, I always tell them, I, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get it this year, but apply again next year. Your application right. is great. You know, try again next year. So don't let it discourage you. And there's so many funds out there. Uh, and grants that are, that are available to people, if uh, if only more people would know about it and apply. Well, I'm curious uh, because we do talk to a lot of Canadians. Um, I wonder if the Canadian government and the Canadian populace in general are taking the skilled trades problem more seriously than we are here. Because, I mean, what do you? Tyler, you, you agree. I mean, we, we talk to people all the time on both sides of the border and they really seem to have the upper hand on what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's true. I think there's a sense and, and maybe I'm wrong, but the, the sense that I pick up from it is a much more unified 
um, approach to it as opposed to in the U.S. maybe a much more individualistic um, what's what's that state doing or what's that industry doing? But it feels like a more cohesive approach to addressing a problem um, in Canada than what we're seeing in the United States. And again, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's certainly how just from these conversations it it, it appears to me is that there are people doing good things in the U.S., but oh, it feels absolutely. like they're often not supported by the larger infrastructure of either the government or the industry that they're a part of, and it's just individual people doing good things, and we need more of a collective push. But that's that's just my sense of it. No, I think you're right, because if, if I think about the people here that we follow that are doing good, uh, bring back the trade, Steve Turner's thing he's doing, uh, the Metallica Foundation, all within my hands. I, I don't. Most people don't know about that one, but it's Metallica, the band. You know, they they put millions of dollars into growing skilled trades people. Um, so there there are a lot of efforts. There's no doubt, but it just seems to when we talk to the Canadians, there's there's a it, it's steady and and it's just. Uh, I don't know. It's a good vein of energy flowing out of the out of the north. So, congrats. Yeah. Either way. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad we have that reputation. <laughs> no, you really do. I, I think that you know. I mean, I, I try to stay aware of what folks are doing. And and to Tyler's point, we we have a lot of people doing a lot. But it just it may maybe he summed it up well. It's more of a concerted effort. So, but either way. Um, I know we're running up on our time here. T, I'm watching the clock, but uh, Nicole, it's um, it, it's so I'm 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 stuck now on on the um, on your foundational effort. So uh, helping helping folks get started and helping with some tuition, perhaps, and I just love it. So congrats on what you're doing. Um, well, it, thank it, you. Um, yeah, I mean, when it started, I only issued one bursary in the in its first year because it was just, uh, you know, my own money. And I reached out to um, someone for a, a previous welding distributor that I was working for. It happened to be International Women's Day. And I um, had sent this person um, an email just because she had posted a video. I didn't know who she was at the time, to be honest. I just said, hey, great video. I watched it. And anyway, it turns out that, you know, she responded and we kind of, we, we've never met. Um, turns out that she was quite high up in the company and every year on International Women's Day, we would send an email. And many years later, like we're talking maybe seven, eight years after this little relationship developed, um, is when my bursary had come about. So, um, at this point she was the VP and I, and I told her about it and she said, you know what? She, she said, I'm going to reach out to our global giving campaign. And, uh, and so I had a three-year uh, contract with Lindy who um, agreed to uh, sponsor me some money every year for three years. This is its final year, and that's why I'm able to offer um, four $2,000 bursary, $2, bursaries instead of just one. So I'm hoping wow. that that takes off and maybe more, um, you know, maybe more uh, companies would be interested in sponsoring as well, because really they're investing in their own industry. and they're Absolutely. Involved. Yeah, so. Well, I think that it shows like that Lindy, I never knew how to pronounce it, L-I-N-D-E, I think, as I've seen Correct. it a million yeah. times. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think people are cognizant that, you know, they we we all have to reinvest back into what makes bread and butter for us every day. And if you can help, you know, nascent programs like yours 
get up and running, they all, if they're run well by good people like yours is, you're going to get traction and there's going to be a little bit of a snowball effect. And if you can do that, uh, you know, on a, on a more than one or a widespread basis, even you're going to build more. So I, I think it makes sense. Regardless, it's been awesome having you and, and getting to learn a little bit about you. And I hope people will go on and follow you and, uh, learn more about welding and, and what you're doing to help the trades and uh, what you're doing for the industry. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. And I'll be sure to send you uh, any related links that you can share as well. Appreciate and it. big shout out again to Jamie Mack for, for hooking us all up. We, uh, Jamie, we, we had her on the show, what Tyler, a year ago. And yeah. uh, at yeah. least uh, we need to bring her back for round two, get a get think- update. I think she should also be added as like the official talent booker for the podcast, right? Because, <laughs> because yeah, I think she's she's sent us, you know, at least like five awesome guests so far. So yeah, she, uh, the podcast guest, guest that has uh, kept on giving and we appreciate that. Well, good people attract good people, obviously. And it's true. And it's Nicole's proof of the pudding right there. So it is true. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. It's been great talking to you. Well, it's been fantastic um, having Nicole on, Greg. And so another amazing episode in the books. Yeah, I mean, my head, I always, I don't always say this. I feel like I say it many weeks. It's like, okay, I got more notes to go work on now to figure out what the heck I'm doing in life because I've yet to hit a stride that I want to based (laughs) on what I just heard. So, uh, Nicole, thank you for adding to my to-do list in life. I really, and I mean that seriously, thank you for, uh, your encouraging words and and the work you're doing. So Tyler, we just, we just keep plowing, man. We keep learning and we keep meeting cool people and, uh, having a ball, man. Well, the more amazing guests that we have, uh, the more you can fill up a notebook with uh, good things that people are doing as opposed to things that you don't want to do. So um, I think that that uh, that's positive, and that's why we keep going. Absolutely. There we go. There we go. Well, another episode in the books. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us here for this episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Make sure to go subscribe to the podcast for more episodes just like this. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts these days, make sure to check out the show or gregcrumpton.com as well for all of your Greg Crumpton-related content. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the show. Uh, But for this one, for Greg Crumpton and Nicole LeClaire, I'm Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) 